Hey everyone, this is Jamie Bateman. Real quickly, I wanted to share with you something uh, that's been pivotal in the growth and success of my businesses, and that is my partnership with Haven Financial Services. Um, I've been working with Haven for over a year now. Christine Valdez was on episode 70 of this podcast. So go check that out if you want to hear her story. It was a fantastic personal story for sure. But Haven has been awesome. They provide me with monthly reports that are super clear and discernible. And it, that provides me with clarity and focus so that I can do what I do best, which is running my businesses, not preparing financial reports. Um, again, if you're in the market for a top-notch financial service company, uh, or if you just want to check one out, go to www.jamiebateman slash Haven and check out Haven Financial Services. Again, that's jamiebateman slash Haven. I uh, can't recommend them enough. Christine and her team have been fantastic. So I definitely recommend you check out Haven Financial Services at www.jamiebateman forward slash Haven. Let's get back to the show. In this episode of the From Adversity to Abundance podcast, I sit down with, actually I'm standing, but I interview Mark Owens, uh, who is a successful real estate investor from Baltimore, uh, my neck of the woods. And it is no exaggeration to say that the previous podcast I had Mark on, um, where I interviewed Mark on the Good Deeds Note Investing podcast, that episode literally prompted me to get the, the gears uh, turning and the wheels spinning to actually start this podcast, it literally, it, it just blew me away. Um, I listened to that episode several times, which is not the norm. Um, and, you know, I definitely recommend listeners go back and listen to the Good Deeds episode uh, where I talked to Mark back in, I think, December, late December 2021. And I had reached out to Mark and just based on his own, his real estate success and, you know, the fact that we're from the general uh, same local area, generally speaking, I had heard of him and seen a bunch of his YouTube videos and things like that and just seemed like a good guy. So I think I'd heard him on a couple podcasts as well. But I reached out to him and I didn't know until two minutes before we hit record for the Good Deeds episode uh, that we were going to get into such uh, craziness as far as his background and I mean, just unbelievable stories, and we get into much of that here today. Um, he overcame; he's overcome a ton of adversity in his life. I mean, this is um, really an episode that just that his story just blows me away. Um, from you know, drug addiction to robberies and bank robberies and craziness, and um, you know, relationships gone wrong and things like that, and. Um, Somehow he fought through it and, and um, you know, <laughs> made his way to abundance. And now he's um, financially free and, and is basically trying to figure out, you know, how to fill his days because he uh, <laughs> can do whatever he wants, which is awesome. So we don't focus a ton on the real estate ins and outs in this episode um, because this show is really about mindset and overcoming adversity and understanding that, you know, we all go through trials and tribulations, but we can get to a mindset of abundance and to a life of abundance. And Mark is a huge testament to that, uh, that possibility and that, that the fact that the mindset plays such a big role in this 
in that path, in that a journey. So, um, you know, I, I can't do it any more justice. I just love this, this, his story, both on the good deeds episode. And I love this episode here. Um, and I definitely want to have Mark back on and he's somebody that is just so passionate and so genuine. Uh, and his whole goal now is to help others, which is awesome. So, um, super, super grateful that Mark was able to join me and I hope you enjoyed the episode just like I did. Thanks. Inspiring stories of real people overcoming incredible odds to live life to the fullest. We are all guaranteed to face hardships. How will we handle the adversity? Join us to be moved by everyday people who have turned poverty into prosperity and weakness into wealth. Be inspired as these relatable heroes get vulnerable and former counterintelligence investigator Jamie Bateman puts his interviewing skills to the test. Restore your faith in humanity as you experience true Cinderella stories of average people turning surreal struggle and deep despair into booming businesses and financial fortune. Take ownership of the life you are destined to live and turn your adversity into abundance. Welcome, everybody, to our first episode of the From Adversity to Abundance podcast. I am your host, Jamie Bateman. I'm really excited about launching this podcast, and I'm really excited about our, our guest today as well. Um, so our guest is, is Mark, Mark Owens. Excuse me. Mark, how are you doing today? Uh, awesome, Jamie. Thank you. Yeah, Mark, uh, we, had, we had Mark on the, the Good Deeds show, uh, I think it was late December, uh, about about three months ago, and I'm not kidding when I say, Mark, your episode really inspired me um, enough enough so that I am actually launching this podcast. I would say largely because of that episode and episodes similar to it. Um, you know, we didn't dive into real estate too much, you know, but it was more of a mindset and you know overcoming adversity type episode. And it really did inspire me to kind of think bigger and, and uh, launch this podcast. So I'm really excited. But this, this episode is not about me. <laughs> it's about you. So for our listeners, Mark, if you could, it's, it's about you and our listeners. But if you could, why don't you tell us your current situation, and then we'll jump back to your backstory. Sure. Yeah, just the first thing I want to say is that I really, really am honored and appreciate the fact that you invited me on and it means a lot to me it, it truly does because that's what I feel like my purpose is at this stage in my life is to inspire other people and show them what's possible and help them to develop a life of their dreams whatever their dreams are and so I really appreciate the opportunity to help absolutely to, you know possibly you know positively influence people so yeah I love it as far as, far as where I'm at today uh, I am 56, about to turn 57 years old, uh, married for 20, I think five years. My wife has trouble, trouble keeping track too. So <laughs> it's not we're, just we're you. <laughs> and, uh, let me see. I've been a full-time real estate investor for close to 20 years. Uh, got a son. He's doing amazing. He's in his early twenties. He's living in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina is uh, working in an investment bank. My wife is now a travel nurse. So we're traveling around the country. She does a three-month gig at one place and then a three-month gig somewhere else. We're currently in Charleston, South Carolina, which is where I am okay. right now. But the weather's a little nicer. We, 
I got a, a, a yeah, you're from Baltimore. I'm from the Baltimore yep. area as well. I just got a, a notification on my phone about the snow coming in today and it's uh, March 30th. So imagine the weather's a little nicer down there. I think it's gonna be like 76 today. <laughs> nice. Sorry. That's awesome. <laughs> no, it's all good. Yeah. So, uh, so that's what we're doing now. I was, I, I just want to back up just to the, yeah, to the beginning absolutely. of the real estate stuff. Like I started buying rentals, uh, 2002, I bought my first one. This time last year, I had a little over a hundred units. And then I started, uh, downsizing. The market was like, you know, doing really well. And I had a lot of, uh, interest from out of town investors that were cash buyers without paying real estate commissions. So it was literally, save me hundreds of thousands of dollars in real estate commissions just by doing these direct sales to people at what I consider retail prices. Mm -hmm. So I ended up scaling down. I've got about 30 units now. Okay. 31, somewhere in that range. Yeah. And uh, I don't have any debt, uh, you know, any debt except for my visa, which I use for everything just so I can track mm -hmm. my spending. Expenses. Sure. And I pay that off every month. And, uh, and I spend a lot of my time just, you know, like trying to find stuff to do. Like I'm trying to learn <laughs> photography. I try to learn Spanish for a while, but like, I just, uh, no comprende. I'm just terrible <laughs> at it. Not happening. And uh, yeah, it was just, you know, I just, so I'm just like spending my time trying to find things to do. I started doing some coaching, but it, that's very limited. I'm only taking a few people at a time and, and all that, because if it starts to feel like a job and I'm not going to want to do it, if I don't want to do it, I'm not going to give a hundred percent. And if I don't give a hundred percent, I'm going to feel like shit. Cause I'm going to feel like I'm ripping somebody off. So it's like, I don't want to, yeah. I'm not trying to have like a volume of like, you know, 50 people a month sign up. It's like just a couple of months. Uh, and so at, the height, at the height of your uh, real estate mm -hmm. um, kind of investing, where, what, what did that look like? I self-managed my units, which a lot of people like, you know, they're just like, they just can't believe it. And they're like, how do you do it? But I, I mean, I'm telling you, like I built up a bunch of systems and processes where I managed it. And it, at the height of my unit count is probably like yeah. 107 yeah. units. Uh, those were multifamily or just, I'm just curious. What's single that? family and multis single. combination. Okay. Got it. Uh, like I, I could say I have one building, but the one building has 18 apartments. So, sure. so I would say that's 18 units. And these were all in Baltimore city, everything in Baltimore city. Got it. And at the peak, I was I wasn't working any more than two or three hours a day. And the way that I was able to do that was that I just figured out like when something happened that I had to do and I didn't like it, I tried to figure out a way to get somebody else to do it, <laughs> either automate yeah. it or, or get something. So like just a, the easiest example is a tenant calls up and maybe they complain that stove isn't working. Well, I could right. get stuck in this phone call loop where. I tell a tenant, okay, let me call you back. And then I call the appliance repair company and they say, okay, Tuesday at noon. All right, let me call you back. And then I call the tenant back and she says she can't do Tuesday. She can do Thursday. And you get stuck in that. Sure. Yeah. Well, it's happened, you know, so many times. And I finally, I just said, listen, I'm just going to give the damn tenant the number to the repair company and she can call. Them. And go. I'm out of it. I'm out nice. of it. I'm out of like yeah. 17 phone calls just by giving <laughs> her it. the number. Yeah. I did the same thing with, you know, with the plumber, the electrician, the furnace guy, the exterminator. <laughs> it's like, just give the tenant, empower the tenant to, to call. I'm paying for it. So it's not going to cost them anything. And then they can find a time that works good for them. Yeah. And I just, I just built my whole business around that. And no, that's uh, great. I've seen some of your YouTube videos and things, and it just comes across that you, your tenants were, and I've heard you on other podcasts as well, but um, your tenants, it seems like you had a work, a good relationship with your tenants. You guys were on the same team. They weren't, it wasn't an adversarial 
relationship. Is that fair to say? I would say that that is true the majority of the time. I mean, I try to uh, work with my tenants as customers, not as adversaries. And a lot of right. landlords look at their, it's like me against a tenant. I'm just like, yeah, right. these are my customers. I want happy customers. I want my tenant to live in this house for 20 years. I want them to pay yeah. the rent on time. But even if they're late now and then, like vacancies kill you, turnovers kill you. I want sure. them to stay there yeah, you know, forever. I want their grandchildren to grow up in that house. Yeah. And part of the way that you do that is just treat them with the same respect that you treat your accountant or your attorney. No, that's, and that's, that's, that's yeah, what I do. Yeah. I treat everybody the same. I treat, I don't care if it's a section eight mom with four kids from four different fathers or, you know, my, I don't know, my title attorney or my accountant mm -hmm. or my bookkeeper. I treat, I treat them all with the same amount of respect. And well, I, I think that, that goes a long way. That's actually a really good, uh, probably a good segue into your backstory, I think, because I mean, you know, I try to do that as well. Right. And sounds good <laughs> and it's and and it's but it's sometimes easier said than done i mean sure. but i think that your backstory in particular you've been through you've seen uh you know we'll, we'll get into that but you've seen a lot of different things and you've kind of lived at different maybe levels as far as financial success and you've experienced mm -hmm. a lot of hardship and and been exposed to a lot of uh different kind of segments of the population if you will and I think may, maybe, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but maybe that's helped you appreciate, you know, person for a person and they all have, everybody has value. And um, so with that, why don't we dive into your backstory, if you don't mind. And, and because um, again, this, when we got into this on the Good Deeds show, it really did blow me away. So um, I think our listeners are going to really benefit from this. So if you could dive into your backstory for us. Okay, so I was born in 1965, Baltimore City, grew up in a blue collar, mostly white neighborhood, working class. Uh, there was, it, where I was growing up, like the dream of like 10, 11, 12 year old boys was to get a job driving a forklift at a factory. Like that's as far as we I could know. see. Like, man, if you, can, if you can get a job driving a forklift at Noxell or Pepsi, like you're set, like you're set for life. Because then you can go buy your little row house, you know, with like two, maybe three bedrooms have a couple of kids and uh you know one car because it, back in the 70s most families just had one car That's all you and, really yeah and you and you could live you know a, a happy middle class life and that was our dream and i had never really felt like i just thought like there's got to be more than that mm -hmm. there's got to be more than just driving a forklift and sure. but but i was too young to really visualize that and my family structure, I was an only child. Mother had me when she was 17, uh, quit school, work at a factory. Didn't meet my biological father until I was like 17. And he was a junkie in and out of jail and you know, just a bad guy. Had, an, had another stepfather for a few years and that didn't work out. Then I get another stepfather, but him and I never really related because he was like, he went to college. <laughs> he was like, like nobody in my neighborhood went to college. Mm. It's like, who is this guy? You know, mm -hmm. like, and so I never really felt like I fit in. Mm -hmm. And um, and so what happened was, uh, you know, we had drug education in school, like in elementary school. And, mm -hmm. and you're sitting there and you're looking at the pictures and you're hearing the stories and, you know, you're thinking like, oh my God, I would never do that. There's people right. crazy. Like, my God, why would you do that? And then I think I was like 12 years old. And uh, one of my friends asked me if I wanted to smoke some pot. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking like, this is a chance for me to fit in. Cause I never really felt like I fit in. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I did. So I got a quick and, question. 
was yeah. that the dare program no the, no there was i don't think there was different. a dare program back okay. then I mean, gotcha. this was like literally like 1975 got it uh the reason i ask is i i did uh some studies in criminal justice back in the day really didn't end up doing anything with with it but and i remember one of the things you know there you can argue both sides to almost every type of like criminal justice policy and education and different different you know government policies there's pros and cons to everything well i remember the dare program in particular actually stood out as having no positive effect if and and potentially a negative effect because it exposed kids to things they wouldn't have been exposed to that's right. a whole separate uh yeah <laughs> story well, but that, that's interesting yeah in my neighborhood it was very easy to get exposed to, like gotcha. i said i was i was smoking yeah. pot when i was 12 years old right. and so, so were, yeah. and so yeah. were all my friends so uh so by the i was 12 years old and smoking weed smoking cigarettes and mm -hmm. uh something happened that uh changed my relationship with my parents forever hmm. you know my mom up to that point had always told me you know, like if I ever like smoke cigarettes or like anything like that, like just come talk to her about it. Mm -hmm. and, and I trusted her and she, uh, so I started smoking cigarettes. This was before I started smoking weed. Mm -hmm. And I went and talked to my mom. I said, mama, you know, I want to talk to you. You know, I, I smoked a couple of cigarettes and you told me if I ever did anything like that to come talk to you. Mm -hmm. And then she started screaming on me, telling me I was stupid, made me chew up a cigarette and mm -hmm. uh, completely humiliated me. And that changed our relationship up till today, where I no longer saw her as a friend or a confidant or somebody I could talk to. Her. I saw her as the enemy hmm. because she stabbed me in the back. She told me to come talk to her and then I come talk to her and she humiliates me. And hmm. I think that may have also been partially what led me to saying yes when I had the opportunity to smoke weed. Got it. Then, uh, you know, I started, you know, you know, she found that I was getting high. We ended up moving out of Baltimore City out to Baltimore County, which was at the time a lot different than it is now. It was a lot more innocent, a lot more naive. Mm -hmm. I was a city kid coming out to the suburbs and mm -hmm. and I felt like the my classmates, even though we were the same age, I just felt like they were little kids. You know, like mm. I mean on the street I grew up on, there were I think, you know, one of my best friends' fathers was shot on the corner. Uh couple years later another one of my friends his girlfriend's mother was stabbed to death up the street from my house i mean it's a and then i come out to perry hall and it was mm -hmm. almost like a leave it to beaver kind of neighborhood like very like you know just yeah. different In a and uh right yeah yeah it seemed like it to me mm -hmm. and so i was the bad kid you know i started then my drug use started to escalate where you know it was like went from weed to drinking to you know all the pills and you know inhalants and you know, everything I could get my hands on. Uh, I'll kind of speed through this, but, you know, I failed the 10th grade, went to a couple of years of summer school, ended up getting kicked out of high school in November of my senior year. And this, I was very defiant and resented authority and, you know, didn't want to hear like people telling me what to do. And I, I don't know where that came from, but it was, it was there. And, uh, you know, the vice principal called me into his office and you know about my truancy which was chronic and he told me the next time i cut a class he was gonna you know suspend me to the board of education with a recommendation for expulsion and I, that was like a challenge to me so he gave me my pass to get back to class and i walked out the front door and uh of the school and then the next day 
I go back to school and I get my, I get suspended with a, you know, recommendation for expulsion. And I went home, I left that on my kitchen table in my house. I packed up my stuff and then I moved down to my grandmother's house, which was back down in the city in the neighborhood that I grew up in. And I was a drug addict, you know, I was very good at manipulating people and, and my mother and her mother had had some issues. So I was very good at putting a wedge there and making it look like I'm the good guy. My mother's the bad guy. So my grandmother mm -hmm. took me in, but there was zero structure there. And, uh, I just, I, I had thought that, okay, look, I'm going to quit school and then I'm going to go get a job. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go get a job and make some money because this stuff's a waste of my time. I mean, how many times can you learn about the same shit year after year after year? Oh, we're doing a, another semester on American history. We've had those semesters <laughs> on American history for the last six years. It's yeah. like, you know. Yeah. And, you can't uh, change it. I, I yeah. remember not, I've gotten more into history now. I'm not super into it, but I can, re I can relate to that. I was like, well, what does it mean to me? I can't change anything about what, what happened. Well, exactly. Or, and and when you're a kid, you don't understand that, you know, exactly. like, like now you can look back and you can see the history and you can see that how it tends to repeat and right. you try to learn from it, but you know, it right. keeps, and it, we're, it's not us individually, but as our right. society and our politicians, yeah. you just keep no, falling I, into the same track. I didn't care about and, it uh, either. But I, I no, just, uh, sorry, go ahead. I know, think there was, so a I got out of it. I got out of school. Couldn't, you know, couldn't, no, it's okay it couldn't get a good job or anything like that and uh but just kept doing my drug stuff and then i was 17 years old it was i remember it was february 1982 and i remember this because i actually wrote it on my calendar because i was proud of it uh the first time i saw it was a friend of mine i saw his brother shooting coke in his bedroom and i asked him i was like man like how much is that and he said it was $25 for a quarter grand. I was like, well, how many shots do you get? And he said two. And I was like, man, can I get one? And I did. He, he said, man, he'll sell me some of his. So I did a shot of Coke. Then I did my, the other one like 10, 15 minutes later. And that really changed things because up until that point, I had done some bad stuff. I'd stolen cars. I'd broken into some houses. I had broken into schools and stole like triple beam scales and stuff like that uh hmm. but because that's what all the drug dealers like you could trade those for drugs mm, as a really easy transaction so the uh but that changed everything because you know what happens when you start to do stuff like that is you think well if I ever you know if things ever start getting bad i'll just quit like i would never let it get that bad i mean that's what everybody that that weighs 300 pounds says well, i'll never let myself get that fat you know right. and then 20 years later there they are <laughs> and uh so it's it's very it, it's the same trap whether it's you're talking about your weight which a lot of people in america can relate to mm -hmm. or the drug right. stuff you say you'll never let yourself get to that point and then you do and it's very gradual, so you don't really notice it because it's just a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. And right. uh, so I started shooting coke. And then like a month later, I found out another guy that I knew was doing heroin. And I thought, man, I'd like to try that out. I like coke. Heroin's probably pretty decent, too. And, you know, called him up, ended up, you know, that day or the next day trying heroin for the first time. So, you know, by the time I turned 18, I was already shooting Coke and heroin. And Jeez. that, uh, I, I'll give the short story, but over the next few years, you know, I was in and out of jails, rehabs, living in the street, you know, in abandoned houses, sleeping under bridges, you know, I got stuck in California, had a hitchhike from California to Baltimore with no money. 
got kicked out of a drug rehab in, in Virginia. And, and it was like, it was winter. And it's like, I violated my probation. I'm going to get to prison for four years for violating my probation. So my choice is either go back to Baltimore and go to jail or go somewhere else. And my thoughts are, well, if I'm going to live outside, if I'm going to be homeless. I'm going south. So I hitchhiked to Florida and wound up in Jacksonville, Florida, which is like literally like the home of the homeless. I mean, there are so many homeless people there. And I think that's because a lot of people hitchhike to Florida or drive there or whatever. And that's the first big city that they hit. And there's a lot of resources. If you're like living in the street, there's a lot of missions and shelters and, you know, stuff like that. So there's a lot of resources there for people that are like down and out. Right. So it's, and, it's, it, there's a good thing, but it ends up drawing more homelessness. It's good. It was good for me. I don't know if well, it was good for right. people that like live there. Right. Know? Right. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, you know, but when you're hungry, you know, and you're cold and you don't care, yeah. you know, right. like you're just looking out for your Maslow's hierarchy, you know, like I need food, sure. shelter, clothes, you know, I worry about the self actualization. So, right. Right. That's 30 that's years later. Tomorrow. I'm sitting in my <laughs> camper in South Carolina yeah, yeah. talking to Jamie Bateman. Right. <laughs> so, no, that's, that's just the whole, I mean, I, you know, I was talking to my daughter, my daughter's 14. She's almost 15. We were talking about drugs and, you know, it's like, I, I don't have a ton of experience with that, you know, myself, but, um, I haven't heard a lot of people who say, Oh, I just, I'm experimenting. Or I guess they say I'm experimenting, but it's like, well, does that ever turn out positively? And I'm not, I'm not judging here. I'm just saying it didn't for me, didn't if for you me. experiment with heroin, it usually, I haven't heard anyone say, Oh, I'm really glad I, I did that. You know, in, in hindsight, the experiment worked out well. Um, it, it's like, you know, it, it doesn't go well, right? I man, Listen, I agree with you 100%. But here's here's the other part that people don't want to talk about is that people usually start with weed. Gotcha. Yeah. And I'm not saying that weed leads to heroin. Right. Because it's, it's, it's not, weed doesn't do anything. Weed right. is just a drug. It's, but it, what it does is it opens us up to, well, what's the next step? What's the yeah, next yeah. step? What's the sure. next it's not, it's not Pot's fault because there were a right. million decisions that I made as an individual between the first time I smoked weed and the first time I shot Coke, you know, so I don't blame right. pot for this at all. It's just, I mean, this right. is a hundred percent my fault, but let me, I want to fast forward yeah. through a little bit because yeah. I want to get to the part that was, I think the most important thing. Uh, I'm just going to fast forward to the summer of 1989 when my okay. drug use uh, reached like the part where I was at the point of no return. I ended up, I robbed a bank in Philadelphia, outside of Philadelphia, uh, 1989. And I was already out on bail for doing another, like a theft. Uh, I think it was, I think they charged me a strong arm robbery, but it was eventually dropped the theft. Hmm. I was out on bail for that. I needed money to pay my rent. My girlfriend like was, you know, really, you know, pissed off and all that again, cause I fucked up again. And I just decided like, man, I'm just going to go rob a bank. You know, that's it. So I went, I'll tell you how I used to steal cars. I, I don't like, I'll tell you how I did it. People can figure it out. What I used to do is, and I've stole a lot of cars. I would, I would find like an apartment building in the area of wherever I was at. And I would get the address and then I would call a pizza delivery place. Mm-hmm. And I would say, you know, back then they had pay phones, right? You put a, a right. they were like a dime. It might've went up to a quarter. I put a dime yeah. in it, call yeah. the pizza place and say, Hey, I want a large pepperoni pizza. I'm at 4,100 Buchanan Avenue, apartment G. And then I sit across the street 
40 minutes later, the pizza guy pulls up. They always leave the engine running, always, because they're in a hurry. Sure. I sit across the street. I see the guy get out with the pizza, run in, opens the apartment building door, starts running up the steps. I go hop in his car and take off. That's how I used to steal cars. And sometimes I get a free pizza too. I mean, it was awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Bonus. Jeez. So then, then, like, might sound like a dumb question, but what would you do with the car at that point? I would, I would use it to go rob whatever I was going to rob, whether it was a drug dealer or, uh, you know, usually I used my own car for drug dealers because they already knew me anyway. But, uh, for the, you know, for the bank and for other places I was robbing, I was just stealing cars. And uh, I would actually use them for a couple of days because there are so many of them, like police aren't actually out like looking for them. They find the stolen car when it's in an accident or, you know, something like that, or you get pulled over because you were speeding or ran a red light or something. So that's how they find them. They're not actually out like looking for them, mm-hmm. at least in a big city like Baltimore, maybe if you're in a small town or something, they might, but Big yeah. city like Baltimore, they're not. They, they got too much other stuff to worry about. So, so the, uh, you, you robbed this bank. Robbed the bank. And it was like the next day, my girlfriend didn't even know about it. You know, I paid the rent, and, you know, got a bunch of money hidden in the kitchen. And, you know, nobody knows but me. And, I, and a friend in Baltimore that I told. And um, the next morning, it was like 5 o'clock in the morning, 6 o'clock in the morning. We get a knock on the door. And we're laying in there sleeping. And my girlfriend goes up and answers the door. And it was a sheriff or one of the deputies and a bail bondsman. And they were revoking my bail because apparently one of my girlfriend's friends called them up and said I was going to like leave the state and abscond from justice. Bless you. So the, uh, so, you know, they, you know, I'm just like, look, I was a drug addict. I'm very good at manipulating people. I'm very good at, you know, sizing people up and, and making like quick decisions on how to respond to the people. Sure. And that's just one of the benefits that you get from living that lifestyle and street um, smarts kind of right. And yeah, people yeah. emotion, I guess, whatever they call that in, in, emotional, uh, intellectual intelligence. Yeah. Uh, so mine was on fire. And, I, and so <laughs> I just thought like, I'm sitting there and I'm, and I'm like, okay, sort of taking me back to jail. I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to get the fuck out of this. How am I going to do it? And I'm like, well, I just need to buy some time to just think about this. So I was very, uh, courteous with the guys. I was very non-confrontational, nothing like, okay, no problem, man. Can I, let me get, can I get dressed? You know, just asking permission. Mm-hmm. And I remember like, I, but I was a cocky, I was a cocky little punk. And I remember like, you know, tying my shoes and I looked at my girlfriend and I winked at her and she, she didn't know what I was, you know, she had no idea, but I'm like, man, I'm getting the fuck out of here. Like I'm tying, like I'm getting dressed to run. I'm not getting dressed to go to jail. I'm putting on loose fitting clothing. I'm tying my shoes tight. Like I'm getting the fuck out of here. And, uh, and then I didn't know how I was going to do it, but I knew I was, and we're on the top floor. It's like a row house. And mm-hmm. we were on the top floor. It was the third floor apartment. Mm-hmm. And in the kitchen, there was a fire escape with steps that went downstairs yeah. And then in the hallway next between the kitchen, and the bedroom, there was a stairwell that went down, you know, through the common area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I asked the, uh, the sheriff, I said, listen, man, can I call my grandma and tell her what's going on? Cause she's the one that, you know, bailed me out and I don't want her worried about me. Do you mind if I just call her for a minute? And he said, no, no problem at all. Cause I was acting very pleasant, you know, very compliant, no mm-hmm. bullshit. And, uh, and I got on the phone and I didn't even call her. I just pretended I did. And I'm just talking to like dead air. I'm just talking. And just trying to figure out what I'm going to do, because the bail bonds guy was standing by the door that goes out to the fire escape and the sheriff was at the 
other door to the kitchen that led to the hallway that went down the steps. Mm-hmm. And I just kept talking and kept talking. And the sheriff asked me if I would, uh, he said, man, you got to hang up. I was like, all right, just a sec. And they said, and he's like, man, you got to hang up now. And I said, all right, man, just a sec. And I kept talking. He came around behind me, which he shouldn't have done because then he left the, left me a path to the hallway. And he reached around and grabbed my hand that was on the phone. Yeah. I, I spun around and picked his ass up and threw him on the kitchen table and uh, then spun back around down the hallway, down the steps, uh, out to the alley. Then I went down to, it's called the Schuylkill River, which is a fairly large river in the Philadelphia area. And I'm figuring, you know, they're going to be looking for me now. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. I just threw this, I just threw this deputy over the kitchen table. So they're just probably going to be looking for me. Took this to the next level. Yep. Yeah. And, and then it was just, uh, you know, I got to get the fuck out of here. So I, the river was too big to cross. Like I, you know, I, I would have drowned if I had to try to cross it, but there was a bridge that went across the river. Sorry about the traffic. If you it's hear okay. that. So there was a bridge that went across the river, but it was a pretty far away across and I thought I can't leave myself exposed by going over top of the river because it's going to be easy to spot me mm-hmm. so I went up and climbed up underneath the bridge where they have these girders that go across and uh and I and I kind of like just held on and just kind of wiggled my way across and got to the other side of the river there there were it sounds like shit on tv there was there were there were railroad tracks and there was a freight train going down the railroad and he was he was going pretty fast probably like i'm, I'm gonna guess 15 miles an hour because my top speed for like five seconds is 15 miles an hour like somewhere in that <laughs> right and i was running as fast as i could it, it might have been a little slower maybe 12 miles an hour because it was on gravel right. and i was running as fast as i could trying to grab onto this train didn't know where it was going didn't care I'm just going to hop on it. I'll hop off, whether it's, you know, the next day, two days later, I could be in Kansas. I don't give a shit getting out of here. But I, I was afraid, like I was just barely keeping up. And I thought, man, if I fall, like I might like get my arms cut off. Like, <laughs> like this is like, right. this isn't okay. working. And so I stopped chasing a train and I, and I backtracked. There was another town on the other side of the bridge. And I can't remember what it was called. I was in Norristown. That's where I started. And I can't remember what the other town was. But I just thought I was walking around. I'm like, man, I, I need a ride, you know? And I'm just thinking like, I'm going to jack somebody. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I need to get out of here. And uh, there was a, I'm walking through this little neighborhood and there was a car that just pulled up in front of this pharmacy and he double parked in the street and left the motor running and he went to the pharmacy. And I was like, there's my ride. It's like the, the law of attraction, right? <laughs> well, I just attracted a car to Jack and uh, I went and hopped in it and took off and I'm heading back to Baltimore. And it's a funny story. There was a kid that was hitchhiking and uh, I picked him up. People, uh, people used to hitchhike back in the seventies and eighties. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I hitchhiked like all over the place through. Yeah. I know my, my father's told me stories about, about that. <laughs> yeah. And uh, this kid's hitchhiking. I picked him up and we're driving and, and, uh, I told him, man, I've hitchhiked all over the place. And he's like, yeah. And, I'm, and I said, yeah, but I found an easier way. Like, I don't really hitchhike anymore. And he's like, really? What do you do? And I was like, well, I steal cars. And he, he said, really? I was like, yeah, I just stole this one. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and, and that would have been like, that would have been a great Instagram pic, right? The face he made. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> before before memes were a thing yeah exactly yes so i I dropped them off a little while later i made my way back to baltimore 
no money. I got a car. I got a bunch of money back at my apartment, but my girlfriend didn't even know about it. And wouldn't you know, the very next day, the feds raided our apartment. Wow. I found the money. Found. Now, how, I had, how old were you at this point? Uh, I think 24. Okay. It was 19. Okay. It was 1989. Got it. Right. Okay. And uh, yeah, that was around August, something like that, 89. It made the very beginning, very beginning of August. And uh, so then, and, and I don't mean to step on your, your toes here. If we can fast forward a little bit, because I know you hit on the, on the good deeds episode, we hit several other stories that were mm -hmm. critical. I remember several things where like the, the uh, attorney, when you were in jail and I, I think I was a coming to that cab driver, I'm sorry, yeah. but those were critical key points. And I don't want to, I don't want to miss, miss those. Sure. So, so what happened was uh, at that point, I'd kind of given up and I just thought, well, I'm just going to get high to a die. Like, I'm just going to, I'm going to rob stores every day or whatever. I, I'll steal different, you know, I'll steal a different car every day. And I'll just do this until I either get shot or overdose. Like there was no, like jail was never an option. It's either I'm going to get shot or I'm going to OD. Like that's it. And I'm just going to keep, this is what I'm choosing to do. And uh, after it was September, I think it was September 8th, September 7th of 89, I decided that I was going to go out to uh, Alaska. They had this Alaska out Valdez like oil spill and they were hiring anybody to just come out and like wipe oil off of ducks, hmm. rocks okay. and whatever. And I'm just like, man, I'll go hide in Alaska. I'll get a job. And you know, and I thought, I'll just like, I'll just drive this, you know, stolen cars out there. And, and what I did, you can't do this anymore, but you could go out, fill your tank with gas and just take off. Like now you got to pay first back then, yeah, you right. did, you know, and so I would just <laughs> fill the tank and, and take off. And uh, I mean, that's how I got, like, I stole a car in Georgia, made it to Pennsylvania, just doing just that. Uh, so it wasn't a big deal. And I mean, it's a terrible thing to do, but it was very right. simple to do it. Sure. And so, uh, so I just started robbing stores like every day, you know, it wasn't a lot of money, a few hundred bucks here, a few hundred bucks there, but you know, if you're a junkie and you're broke, $300 is a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and September 7th, I decided I'm going to go out to California and, or Alaska. And I talked to a girlfriend and I just told her what I was going to do. And we, her and I had been friends for years and she was, you know, kind of hardcore like I was. And, uh, I said, well, let's go hang out tonight. So I went and got a motel room at him. It's called Pulaski Highway in the Baltimore area. Mm -hmm. And uh, went out and that night, you know, I had some money from previous robberies and went and bought some drugs, got a hotel room, we're getting high. And then I thought, let's, you know, let's go rob something else. So we left the hotel or motel, went and robbed another store, went and bought some drugs, went our way back to the motel. And I ran a red light in a stolen car and ended up uh to make the long story short I ended up getting caught you know I, I got boxed in I I couldn't escape there was cars in front of me it was like two o'clock in the morning September 8th what the I'd, like I'm thinking like where the fuck are all these people going I mean Jesus Christ you know like I got no space to navigate mm -hmm. and the mm -hmm. car I had stolen it was like a 280z or something it was really fast it was mm -hmm. a fast car so I thought if I get an opening like I'm out of here <laughs> and uh and so you know they get us boxed in and the cops are like jumping out with their guns out and the lights on and all this and the uh i asked barb i said hey barb give me the drugs she gave them to me and <clears throat> i'm just thinking like look i'm not going out like this like they're gonna have to shoot my ass like i'm not just getting out and uh 
and and like turning myself in. So I got out and opened the door and I put my arms up and I looked around at the at for an opening and then I just took off running. And uh I mean I remember like gritting my teeth, like just thinking like, man, if they fucking shoot me, like just keep fucking running, no matter what, just keep fucking running. Hmm. Because I'm gonna get to jail for the rest of my fucking life. That's what I'm thinking. And it's like sure. I would rather I would rather bleed out in the street right. than spend the next 50 years in jail. And yeah, I mean, uh, it seems it sounds crazy to say, but it seems logical. Yeah, it did. It did to me. Right. I mean, it's a it's a tough choice. It's like you know, right. do you want to die tonight or do you want to spend the rest of your life in prison? I'll die tonight. Sure. Right. And uh, you know, a few minutes later, I you know I ended up getting called. You know, I, I kind of got trapped in this like little warehouse complex where there was mm -hmm. like nowhere to go, and I ended up I got called and uh, went to jail. You know, and I can I admitted to everything. I mean. Like I had a bank bag, not not from a bank, but like a drop bag from a store that I had robbed. And like, it was obvious that, you know, I was up to no good. And I had the feds had a warrant for my arrest and all this stuff. Uh, I think I left that part out. The feds raided my apartment the day after I escaped from the sheriff. And my, mm -hmm. you know, my girlfriend found out about everything. So that right. kind of fucked that, that kind of fucked that relationship up a little bit. That's <laughs> just, just <laughs> through, yeah. <laughs> through that one for a loop. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So I wind up in, you know, I, I confessed to everything. And part of the reason I did it was because I didn't want the girl that I was with to get like blamed for anything. So I just like, look, man, she has nothing to do with this. She's just a girl mm -hmm. I'm hanging out with. Like, I'll tell right. you everything I did, but you gotta like you gotta cut her loose. Right. Right. And, and so they agreed and I admitted to like I think it was like 23 or 28 robberies in Baltimore City, Baltimore County, Harper County, Carroll County, wow. and a bunch of cars and all this other stuff. And, uh, you know, so I'm sitting in the county jail and, uh, you know, I've got, you know, I'm looking at literally like hundreds of years and I thought, all right, well, I'm not done. You know, there's, I'll get out of here. I'll figure out a way to get out. And uh, I attempted to escape from that jail and... I mean, like I missed it by that much, <laughs> you know, thank God. But uh, right. I'm, I managed to break a piece of steel off of one of the bunk beds, which was about four feet long, thick. And in my cell, I pried, they have this really heavy duty mesh security screen. I pried that whole, whole frame off and all that. And then there was this heavy duty, like cast iron, like mesh uh, behind that attached to the window. And then I kept prying at that and I got a hole in it big enough for you know me and a couple of other people like you could fit out of it as long as you didn't weigh like 300 pounds mm -hmm. and then I was using this piece of steel and prying out the plastic it was plexiglass mm -hmm. prying that out when they rolled in and called us and I mean it's like three four five minutes we'd have been out of there and it wouldn't have just been me I was on a high bail section like everybody had hundred thousand dollar bailing up I think my bail was like six hundred thousand dollars like everybody it would have been like a hundred guys going through that window, a hundred skinny guys going through the window. <laughs> so <laughs> the bad yeah. guys would still be in jail, <laughs> but, uh, and they, they called us and I went to, you know, so then I ended up getting put on lockup for six months, which means like you're locked in a cell by yourself, you know, 23 hours a day, you get out of an hour to go take a shower and, and just walk around the tier. Can't imagine. Yeah. And that, that was really good for me that it worked out like that because then the thing that happened that began the change for mm -hmm. me was I went and uh, my attorney came in and my mm -hmm. parents stepped up, got me an attorney and he came in to see me and we're sitting in this little conference room. There's like a metal table between us and I'll never forget it. I mean, cause he, 
really made me feel stupid. He looked at me and he said, man, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, can't you even stay out of trouble in jail? Like you're already locked up. Mm-hmm. And then he said, don't you realize that if you do what you're supposed to do, you can be home by the time you're 30 years old, you'll be young enough to start a whole new life. And I never, I hadn't considered that. You hadn't thought start about it like that life, before. Be home right. Five years, start a whole new life. Like, really? Like, is that an option? Huh. And I mean, I didn't say that to him at the time, but I, right. you know, over the next course of the next couple of days, I really thought about that. And I thought, okay, I'm going to give this shit a try. And, mm-hmm. and part of, and part of the thing that, that really made a difference was my friend, Barb, who was mm-hmm. with me when I got locked up. Yeah. She had managed to get like a few weeks clean, like a, maybe a month clean uh-huh. after we got locked up. She yeah. started hanging out with the first guy I ever shot coke with that went to a drug rehab and he had like, you know, two or three months clean. And now she's hanging out with him and she's getting her stuff together. And nobody had done that. Like I didn't know anybody that ever got clean. Right. And so I'm seeing like, man, it's possible. Like you can, you can get off the drugs. Yeah. And I'd be young enough to start a whole new life. And uh, that's where my mindset started to change. Exactly. This is the the critical piece. I mean, so many things I could, I could, you know, we could talk about from here. I remember in the previous episode on, on the other, uh, on good deeds, we talked about several different kind of pivoting moments or really mm-hmm. critical moments in your life. And this was obviously one of them, if not the, the biggest, it, it was huge. I mean, yeah. but then there's one other thing that happened. There was, there was three pieces, three pieces to it. Uh, yeah. the, the next thing that happened is after I got off lockup, like I had committed myself, like, I'm going to figure this out. Like, I don't know what right. I'm going to do. Drugs right. didn't work or, you know, drugs obviously don't work. Rehabs don't work. Jail didn't work because I've been to prison before. Um, living in the streets doesn't work. Different churches doesn't work. Different girlfriends in different states doesn't work. I got to figure something out. I don't know what it is, but I got to figure something out. Mm-hmm. And then I found a book. Oh, right. It was called You Can uh-huh. If You Think You Can. Uh-huh. And it was on the tier on the table. And I didn't like, I didn't know they had self-help books. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's a new industry or what, but I didn't know they had. <laughs> I think, it's, I think it's grown a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And I looked yeah. at it and I was like, you can if you think you can. I was like, oh, I got plenty of fucking time. Right? <laughs> right. I mean, I'm going to read it. I think I've already read every Stephen King book in the jail. So let me get and read this thing. Mm-hmm. And halfway through that book, something clicked in my head. And I realized that I can take control of my life and become the person that I want to become. But I have to believe in myself. And up until that point, I didn't believe in myself because I was always focusing on my failures. Mm. And halfway through this book, I, I was smoking cigarettes back then. You could smoke in jail back then. And halfway through the book, I'm like, man, f- fuck this. I'm taking control of my life. I'm mm-hmm. taking I'm taking over. I'm going to run this shit. I'm right. going to run. Not the drugs, me. And I right. took my half pack of cigarettes out and I gave it to this guy, Frank Retainer. I said, Frank, I'm fucking done. I'm changing my life. Mm. And of course, you know, you know, it's like, all heard that before you know he's thinking like, right Bullshit. right sure yeah but uh that's that's what happened and no, that's that's really i mean that's yeah this mindset shift it may not have happened in in one minute i mean there were it was over time but there there were critical well there there moments. was a time yeah yeah i yeah. gotta tell you like at that in that through that book there was like there was a time it was in mm-hmm. an instant like i okay. knew like it was like that it wasn't like a dimmer switch like slowly going on and off it might have been right. a dimmer like like preparing or fertilizing my mind for this sure. but once i read that one thing yeah it yep. convinced me like man i got this hmm. i got it and you can imagine wow. like 
I mean, this is, and this isn't just with like drug stuff. This is with everything in life. Like, you know, right. this. like if two guys are going to get in a boxing ring. Yeah. And one guy's thinking in his head, like, fuck, man, this guy's going to kick my ass. I hope he doesn't hit me in the face, man. I hope he doesn't yeah. fuck my face up. Like he already lost a fight. He already done. Right. This, if the same guy goes in with the attitude, man, I'm going to kill this guy. I'm going to tear his face off. His mom ain't going to know who he is yeah. when I'm done. You still might get your ass kicked. But the chances of winning are significantly greater if you believe in yourself. Yeah, absolutely. It's the, no, belief, and I, it's the fuel. That's know? really what I want this 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 podcast, not just this episode, but this whole podcast to be about. It really is about the mental the mindset piece. Um, you know, real estate was your and you know, we're not gonna go into the weeds on mm -hmm. how you did all your real estate stuff, but that was your, you know, kind of asset class or strategy mm -hmm. as far as how you were able to build wealth and that kind of thing, but kind of doesn't really matter. And, you know, if you didn't have the mindset piece down real estate, never would have happened. You're, you're oh, no, it's got, the mindset's everything. I, Critical. I mean, and you don't have to start where I started, you know I mean? Yeah, I, right, I right. Home, you know, right, uh, right. It still applies to people who haven't robbed 23 or 28, yeah. you know, and banks and cars. And <laughs> I got to tell you, man, the, um, this is one of the things that I did that anybody, anybody that's listening to this, you can do this. It, this isn't like magic or anything like up until this point. I, and this is something that I did myself up until this point. When I thought about who am I, I just thought of all my failures and losses and things that I fucked up and people that I lied to and people that I hurt. And that's what I use to define who I am, the kind of person I am. Mm -hmm. And then I decided I'm going to, you know, it sounds corny, but I'm going to flip the script, right? I'm going to, mm -hmm look at this thing and I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write down all the good things that I've ever done that I can think of. It ain't going to be a long list. It's going to be a short list, <laughs> but that's but, what you're going to focus on. But that's I what mean, I'm going to focus on. Right. Right. And that's what I did. And the first thing on the list was I quit smoking cigarettes. That was the first no, that's, thing. That's yeah. I mean, and this is when I say this is going to, it's going to sound so much less dramatic, you know, but I had a similar shift kind of, you know, just, I was going to work every day, had the nine to five job with a long commute and, and that I didn't have a terrible life. I'm not saying that. Right. Mm -hmm. But I would, I just kind of fell into the, the trap of kind of groundhog day. And that's, this is what life is kind of thing. And then I, re, I re, you know, realized I started pointing to my strengths and the people in my life that, you know, that could help me and kind of just my focus changed. And so it became more about teamwork and growth and strengths and looking at the positive. And that for me was a critical piece. This was back in you know, 2013, 2014, just to start mm -hmm. really kind of ratcheting up the real estate and note investing and things like that. But again, not, not as dramatic <laughs> of a story, but, but it was really important because I could have easily just gotten caught in, you know, ho-hum, woe is me. This is, this sure. is my life and, and that yeah. kind of thing. Um, so the, the mindset piece is critical. Yeah. I don't, yeah. People don't, I mean, like, people don't have to apologize like well you know it wasn't that bad like it's this isn't a competition this isn't no, a race no, no. To the right you know right, it's like right. uh it's i regret all of that stuff but sure. if it wasn't for that i might not be here today and and i've i've tilted the scales where i think i've done more good than bad now yeah and uh but i just there's some things i want to mention that, are, that to me are, yeah. are important Please. that help people to heal is you know like maybe 12 years ago or so, I looked up the cop that arrested me. I looked him up on Facebook and I found him. Yeah. And I sent him a message and said, Hey, did you used to work in Eastern District, Baltimore City Police Department? And he didn't respond. And he, he's probably like, you know, uh oh. 
And, uh, and then I, you know, sent him another message a couple weeks later. And, and I said, listen, you arrested me September 8th, 1989 on Monument Street, the corner of Monument and Crescent. And you saved my life. And I just want you to know that I am truly sorry for all of the shit that I ever did. And that's not how I was raised. And that's not the kind of person I am. And I sincerely regret all of it. And I just want to thank you because you saved my life. And I appreciate it. And uh, not too long after that, I got a response from him. And we're friends today. I mean, we've met, we've talked. We, you know, I've, got his, I've talked to him maybe six months ago. I got his number on my phone and we're friends today. And awesome. uh, so kids, was that, was that difficult? I mean, for me? Yeah. No, so not reach at all, out. man. No, no, because uh, I'm that for me is like it's it's healing for me to express, mm -hmm. you know, to tell people how yeah. I feel like my remorse and, and regret. Gotcha. But gotcha. when when the different side, I called the attorney that like said that life changing mm -hmm. thing to me. Yeah, he he spoke truth into you. Is, is yeah. What he did, and I haven't right? talked to him since 1990. Well, this is, I mean, this is like really funny, but I called him. I, he's still practicing law. I mean, he's got to be 100 years old, right? And, uh, <laughs> and, and I, I found him in the phone book and I called his office and he got on the phone. You know, the lady's like, well, is he expecting a call from you? And I was like, well, yeah, probably not. With Which case is this involving? I was like, well, you know, it's a case from like, you know, 1989. Right. And uh, she put him on the phone and I just relayed the story to him. And I just told him how, you know, the comments that he made, it changed my life. And this is where I'm at today. Like, you know, I have a, a great life. I'm a respected member, contributing member of society. I have an amazing son. Like, you know, it's like, I've got good friends, like good people that, that I hang right. out with. And, and I just wanted him to know that, that that might not have happened if he hadn't said what he had. Like I, that was like just a huge impact, mm -hmm. made a huge impact for me. And I didn't know it at the time, but uh, he told me that I was actually on speaker, like after I told him this, like his okay. whole audience or his, like whole, his whole office staff, yeah. like heard yeah. this conversation and he didn't say it, but it sounded to me like he was becoming emotional. I can imagine just hearing it. Sure. I mean, and I still yeah. do when I talk about it because yeah. it was such a life changing thing that, that I'm so grateful for. But, uh, I mean, but I can't, I, yeah, I mean, it's, I'm sure he, has done well financially and all that, but I, I would guess a phone call like that would be, you know, I'm more sure important than any of that home, stuff. I'm sure when he sat down with his, you know, significant other for dinner that night, yeah, he said something to the effect of, "Guess who called me today?" <laughs> <laughs> right. That, that wasn't, yeah, that wasn't your everyday, your average uh, Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, my point is, and I've done this with other people under other circumstances. Mm -hmm. uh, it's never too late to call somebody up and apologize mm -hmm. or to thank them for something. You know, if somebody did something meaningful in your life, you know, even if it was a boss at Burger King 20 years ago, and they mm -hmm. said something that made a positive impact in your life, it's never too late to go find those people and yeah. let them know. You'll make their day. You will make their day when you do that. Yeah. And, and it makes my day that. that happens to me sometimes where people yeah. call me up and, you know, tell me they heard this podcast and it like made a difference in their life. Like, man, that's what it's all about. I mean, I that's mean, what, what else, makes it we, worth it. We could, we sure could use a lot more of that um, given the last, just the general, you know, dynamic of how things are with social media and people tearing each other down. And, you know, there's 
too much of that going on keyboard warriors you know bashing people oh, yeah. in the, yeah. they in the online that. mob and so yeah i mean that's i love it that's so i mean that's that would be fantastic if we could get more of a movement like that people we're probably you know, are we running over <laughs> we are running over a little bit you know we may end up i don't know maybe we'll break this into two episodes but but um yeah i mean i've got a few more questions we can we can run through real fast um, plenty of time yeah i mean so just to kind of finish up the so you you just the the very short version of you know where'd you go when you after you made that mindset shift then you got into real estate and then you had all the and and you ended up quitting your your job i know there's a ton of detail in there you know that we're skipping over but if you could just give the 30 seconds uh, synopsis of what happened from the mindset shift to where you are today sure so that mindset shift happened is either april 20th or 22nd of 1990 i stayed in prison for another little over four years uh i got locked up september 89 i got out in june of 94 so however many months that is i think it's like four years and nine months uh, before I got out, I had I got a two-year degree in business uh, mm -hmm. from a local junior from you know community college. They actually have the instructors come to the prison with the same books, mm -hmm. same exams, everything's the same. It's just you're in prison, and um, I got a construction certificate where you're like learning how to frame houses and you know just all that stuff. And mm -hmm. uh, I just figured I got to do the time, but that doesn't mean I have to waste it. Like sure. I'm gonna like I'm gonna make the the best use of this time. So when I get out, I'm I'm as best prepared as I can be to take one like a whole new life. Yeah. And uh, right before I got out, I <clears throat> maybe six months before I got out. This is another. This is a really important lesson. Mm -hmm. Is I I wrote a letter to my high school girlfriend that I had mm -hmm. broken up with in high school, and I broke up with her because I knew where I was going. Like I knew mm -hmm. like I'm a, I'm a loser, and she's gonna go to college and have a great life, and like mm -hmm. I can't yeah. change and. So I broke up with her, but I had always regretted breaking up with her. I mean, I was in love with her and she was just such an amazing woman. And so mm -hmm. I wrote her like maybe six months before I got out and just, I've still remembered her address. I mean, like this was before email and you know, all that stuff. And I, mm -hmm. I wrote her a letter and just told her how things turned out. And she wrote me back and said, oh, you know, I'm doing great. Graduated school, got a great job, got an apartment, got a boyfriend. Don't ever write me again. Oh, geez. And actually, she had she had broken up with her boyfriend. She didn't tell me that at the time in that mm. letter. And uh, and so I got that response. And I was just grateful that I got a response. You know, it kind of gave me some closure. Like I was sure. able to say the things I wanted to say. Yeah. And but then I thought to myself, well, I didn't say everything. Like I didn't really tell her the real stuff. Mm -hmm. And since she's not going to talk to me anymore, and I don't blame her. Let me just get and tell her I want to go deep and just tell her why I did what I did and, and how I felt about it. And and I'll probably never talk to her again, but at least I have this off my conscience. Like this is off my plate. And yeah. so I wrote her, you know, it took a few days to get the letter just right. And then uh, dropped it in the mail. A couple of weeks later, I got a response. Well, you know, we can talk, we can write. Mm -hmm. And a month or two later, she was coming to see me. And then a few months later, I got out of the jail. And a couple months later, we're living together. And a couple of years later, we got married. <laughs> we're, now and we're she's still together. a traveling nurse. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so, so the point of that story is like, man, if somebody says like, no, you just got to, you know, you just got to find a different way to ask the question. Well, I think, because, yeah. 
Yeah. That's, you've been, you've shown that you're, you've been resourceful your entire life. I mean, you always figured out a way to make it happen, or, be, you know, whether, but, but the big thing was you were maybe going down in the kind of negative dark path before, I, and you've I changed your, that, your I, direction. I think that you develop a lot of skills when you head in that yeah. direction, like sure. a lot of life saving skills. Right. I mean, just as an example, when I got to Florida, they checked the Jacksonville. And so I got nothing. I got no money, nowhere to go, no food. And I'm thinking, well, I got to get a job. Mm-hmm. But if I get a job, then I'm not going to, I'm not going to get paid for a couple of weeks and I can't go to the shelters and the missions to get lunch and stuff like that. Cause I'm at work. Cause you have a, oh, right, right. Yep. Sure. So I can't go two weeks without eating and I can, I can, you know, I can't go in a grocery store every night and steal food, which is another thing I used to do. I would just grab food and go and sneak it in the bathroom and eat it right in the grocery store. And, um, uh, I mean, that includes like raw hot dogs and cheese. Like it doesn't matter. You know, it's like when you're hungry, it doesn't matter if it's a raw hot dog. And, uh, and so then I got this thought, it's like, okay, I'm not going to get paid for two weeks, but I need to eat. What if I get a job in a place that sells food? Then I can eat at work. So that's what I did. (laughs) I got a job working at a hot dog stand. And uh, yeah. And it's just like, so a lot of times people, like my wife does this all the time. She she just sees obstacles. Oh, you can't do this. I'm just like, right. oh, wait a minute, hold up. You know, I, I'll find a way around this. And that's and that's my skill is figuring out. I'll either sure. go over it, around it, behind it, under it, blow it up. Like I'm, or I'll go all the long way around. Whatever it yeah. is, there's well, a way. And just I suggest to people like never give up, man. I don't yeah. care if you're trying to lose weight and you keep falling off the thing. You're trying to quit drinking. You're trying to trying to quit smoking, and you just keep you know, failing, like, don't stop, man, just don't stop. And right. uh, you know, don't give up, you're worth so much more, you know, just worth you were worth so much more. And people don't realize how much the their failures, how they can turn that into something where they can help so many people with their stories, you know, because they're, they're yeah. not the only ones that fail, we all fail, I still fail at stuff. But, right. but you can take those failures and turn them into strengths and, and make a difference in people's lives. I mean, that's, I mean, that's from adversity to abundance. That's, that's the name of the podcast. Right. And that's right. exactly, really, exactly. It really is. I mean, yeah. you know, that's the whole point of this, this show um, is, you know, you may not see it at the time when you're going through the struggles and, and I'm not suggesting you necessarily choose to go through struggles <laughs> no, or, i wouldn't you know, suggest that you do it on purpose but you can use those you know you know in a way that maybe other people can't i mean because you've been through that you've developed these these strengths and these uh personal personality traits and things you, you know you can use that experience to now help others so as we move toward the the end of the show here i'm gonna these are gonna be kind of a lightning round quick questions okay hang it on um what is a book or two that you'd recommend to my audience and why? Uh, I would say, assuming that they are not starting where I started, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Nice. Uh, is Love probably it. Number, probably number one. Uh, yep. If you're like a business-oriented, entrepreneurial kind of person, because that yep. is going to just expose a lot of the BS that we've been brainwashed with since birth in this country. Sure. That's so, a good one. Uh, that's probably okay. one of the, one of the, that's probably the main one. I could probably name five others, but that's the main one. Got it. How about a movie? I don't know if you watch movies or anything. Any good movies? Oh, man, you know. How about this? A movie favorite, or a movie or a podcast? You you pick yeah, one. <laughs> one of my favorite movies. It's a fiction movie. It was called Starman with Jeff Bridges. 
Okay. And uh, it's a tearjerker. So, but that's okay. like okay. when people ask me what my favorite movie is, that's always one that pops up. In my All mind. right. The worst one was um, Jaws. So. <laughs> the worst one was Jaws. Yeah, man. Yeah. I never. Yeah, I never got into that one. Um, what's one question you wish I'd asked you, but I haven't answered. I haven't asked. Oh man. Um, <laughs> you know, there's nothing really. I mean, I, yeah. I, I wish I could give you like a real smart, you know, yeah, clever no answer, but yeah, no I'm, I'm open, man. What? Love it. We've covered so much ground and I really do feel like you've got so much to unpack with your story. It's incredible. Um, there's no way we could cover it all in, in one episode here, but, um, so, and then we've already touched on this somewhat, but how do you like to serve others? How, how are you adding value to others these days? Uh, one way is like this, like doing this. I mean, I don't get paid for this. You know, this no. is my, my most valuable asset is time. Sure. You know, it's yeah. a limited resource, Yeah. but if I can spend my time doing something like this, where I'm, I might potentially reach, you know, maybe hundreds or thousands of people that I will yeah. never meet and it can have a positive effect on their lives. Yeah. Like that's to me, that's a, a gift for that. I can be able to actually do that as a gift for me. It's kind of selfish yeah. because it makes me feel good <laughs> to be able to help other people. Uh, not, but that's, probably, that's probably the main way is by, is by talking. I mean, I give money to charities and stuff like that, but that's like, sure. I think time is more valuable than the money. And yeah, uh, I agree. So I would say that that's what I do is I just try to influence people and inspire people to live their best lives. I love it. Now that goes into the next, uh, the final question here, where can our listeners find you online? Cause I know you do have, you know, YouTube channel and some other things going on. What, what do you have going on and where can people reach out to you? Okay. So yeah, I've got a YouTube channel. Uh, best thing to do would be to just email me directly, Mark at markowens.com and okay. ask me if you're looking for my YouTube channel, I'll send you a link because I can't even remember the name of it. Uh, <laughs> I've, got, I've got to have a Facebook group for real estate investors. There's a page in a group, just if you do yep. a search, it's Mark Owens, R-E-I, and, and just the group is there. I think there's like a thousand people in it. The page is just like a placeholder. So yeah, okay. don't waste your time with that. But <laughs> emails, email is probably the best way. And then if you tell me what you're looking for, whether it's YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, yeah, you know, I, can, I can just answer you directly. Perfect. Now, are you going to be in Charleston for a foreseeable future? Uh, the I'm going to be in Charleston for... My wife's contract is, she starts another one. It's in April, May, and June. I'm staying till the beginning of June. Then I'm heading out to Leadville, Colorado for a month nice. uh, to train at elevation because I'm going to be going to Kings Peak, which is the highest mountain in Utah, hmm. Bora, which is the highest mountain in Idaho. I've got a permit to climb Whitney, which is the highest mountain in the lower 48 states, which is in California. And I'm wow. going to do Boundary Peak in Nevada. So I'm going to do the highest point in four different states uh, wow, in July. That's awesome. So nice. that's, that's my plans for July. That's so cool. All right. Well, there's so much more we could dive into, but we'll have to save that for, we can get you back on another time. This has been really, really good, Mark. I mean, I just love this. I just love your, you know, I hate that you had to go through all that. I mean, obviously, like you said, some of that was maybe your own, your own doing, but uh, it was all my own doing, man. That's, I mean, that's know. the only way that you can change your life is if you accept hundred responsibility for what you do. And, I, mean, and I always have, yeah. I never blamed anybody else. I made the choices. I mean, it's, you know, I know you say you don't want to compare, but that's some serious adversity that you, that you overcame and that you went through. And um, now, I mean, you know, you're it definitely seems from my perspective, you're living an abundant life. I'm, I'm sure you have struggles like everybody else. Right. But you've got, 
free time and it sounds like you've got financial freedom from your your real estate and and other endeavors so i mean definitely come a long way and i really feel like this is going to inspire a lot of people so i really just want to thank you for for coming on mark and uh and uh spending your most valuable resource with us which is your time so thanks a lot hey thank you jamie thank you for having me be happy to come back anytime in the future if you want to continue the discussion sounds great and to our listeners out there please go out and rate and review our show. Um, We'd love it. We're in a, a growth phase, obviously, so we appreciate you listening. Take care, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the From Adversity to Abundance podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. That helps others find the show, and we greatly appreciate it. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode. Hey there, it's Jamie Bateman. Ever felt boxed in by life's challenges? Dive into my new book, From Adversity to Abundance, inspiring stories of mental, physical, and financial transformation. Available now on Amazon. From a former bank robber's redemption to a young entrepreneur's victory over hurdles, these stories are not just inspiration. They're the roadmaps to your transformation. Whether for you or as a powerful gift to friends and family, especially those who might not tune into podcasts, this book is a beacon to a life of abundance. Ignite that inner fire and set your course to the life you've imagined. Purchase yours today on Amazon and light the path for someone you love.